Welcome to Enter the Dojo. My name is Joel Tosi. And I'm Dion Stewart. If you're listening, you're probably already somewhat familiar with dojos. For those who aren't, the kind of dojos we're talking about are places where teams undergo immersive learning experience to improve their ability to deliver digital products. Learning goals are aligned with the outcomes the organization is trying to achieve. That could lead to focusing on improving practices around DevOps, technical engineering practices, product thinking, agile lean methods of working, and other topics. But dojos aren't just limited to improving practices, as we'll see. In the upcoming episodes, we'll be going into more detail about what dojos are and how you can go about creating your own. We'll do a mix of interviews with people and companies who've already created dojos and other episodes where we cover specific aspects of bootstrapping and running a dojo. For our first episode, we wanted to do an interview with Ross Clanton. Why we wanted to start with Ross should be self-evident from the interview. Hey, Ross, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Ross, obviously we've known you for several years now. You're well known as being a leader in the transformation space and DevOps community. For listeners who might not be familiar with you, why don't we start with your background and your story around creating dojos? Uh, Sure. So I've been a career IT, enterprise IT guy. I've worked at two very, very large, um, actually Fortune 40 companies, uh, Target for 18 years and Verizon for the last few years. <clears throat> really had been all over the technology organizations, played a lot of different roles. About six or seven years ago, probably about six years ago, I really kind of got focused in on DevOps as I had seen some of the problems inside of the company I was working at that time, and I saw how that could really start to solve those those problems. So from that, I kind of started moving into more uh, transformation leadership roles, uh, driving DevOps transformation, started to get more involved in agile transformation, uh, had a lot of success driving transformation at Target, was able to introduce the dojo concept there, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. And from there, I, I decided it was, you know, a career retail guy wasn't necessarily what I was planning at that point in time. So I thought it was a good uh, time in my career to venture out, broaden my skills a little bit, get into a different industry, and uh, went over to Verizon, moved my family from Minnesota, where I grew up, out to the East Coast in New Jersey. Been here the last few years. We've adapted really well, and uh, so now I've been driving that a very similar transformation playbook that I did at Target uh, at Verizon, including uh, dojos, DevOps transformation. Uh, I've actually started to get a lot further into cloud transformation as well, because that's a pretty major uh, focus for our company at this time. So so I know, I'm sure everybody asks you this, Ross, because I know <laughs> they asked Dion and I this a bunch. Uh, so the word dojo, uh, how'd you come up with it? Where did it come from? Why is it called dojos? <clears throat> Yeah, so let me, I'll even step back from there and talk about what was happening, uh, what we were doing inside Target at that point that ultimately led to us forming dojos. Uh, we were we were in the midst of a, a really powerful grassroots movement inside the technology organization where a lot of uh, kind of engineers got really hungry for change we were able to connect a community really effectively across the organization uh, and similarly a lot of tops down support started to happen i would say 12 to 18 months in into that effort and and a lot of teams were starting 
to look at how they could change and they were looking for thought leadership on on how we could pivot to more modern practices and uh, I had a team, a really amazing rock star team that uh, had really started to master infrastructures code and CICD type practices at, at a very early stage in the company and, and really at a very early stage for enterprises to tackle these problems. And um, uh, the requests came from the executives on, this is great progress we're seeing on a small scale, these projects really starting to pivot, how they're working, how do we scale that? And we had already been doing these kind of experiments of working alongside teams. We were calling them flash builds at the time, and uh, they were really small format experiences, usually one to three days. We'd kind of pull a team together, co-locate everyone, and see how quickly we could solve a problem or build something out. And, and we, after that was successful, we kind of evolved to, hey, let's try a longer format. We called it a 30-day challenge. Did it with one team right before a really critical business event and uh, actually co-located teams with some of our experts for 30 days and really saw a major improvement in their delivery capabilities and their ability to measure the things they were delivering. And that's when that ask came to scale. And, and so when we were sitting down thinking about how do you scale teams going through this learning process, we thought, well, we're having a lot of success with the 30-day challenge. How do we do more of those? How do we optimize how we do more of those? That's where we landed on, well, we should have a space we bring people to. We can bring more people together. We can uh, kind of optimize our, our coaching and, and our, our experts' time. And actually... Uh, really brilliant engineer that was in my organization uh who was my lead for a lot of this jason walker who's uh at cargill now he and i were sitting down and and talking through how to do this and had figured out the space figured out how we were going to scale it we were trying to think through what to name it and uh, he came up with the name dojo which i think was very fitting because dojo uh, essentially the meaning of dojo is it's it stands for the place of the way or the place that you go to master and practice your craft or the thing that you're trying to learn. Obviously, most people associate it with martial arts. That's where it's mostly discussed, but there's plenty of other patterns of it um, emerging in the technology industry as well and coding dojos and things like that. So it it seemed fitting. We uh, we named it that. We almost named it the Goat Farm, which... Uh, <laughs> I could get into a whole other podcast on what a goat is and how that equates to a full stack engineer and what it means to be a have a goat farm. Uh, but as we thought about that, I thought I was going to really struggle explaining that to executives and <laughs> other leaders. Yeah. So we kind of shied away from that name pretty quickly. Yeah, C level suite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd like to talk about the how you got to the 30 days, because one of the things that comes up for us a lot when we're talking to people about dojos is why 30 days? Why why six calendar weeks? Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about how you made the jump from uh, the one to three day flash builds to a 30 day challenge? Yeah, I would love to say there was a ton of science behind it, uh, but there there wasn't. And And by the way, I've, you know, my experience with dojos now over the last five years, my thinking, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of different formats out there. I don't, I don't believe everyone should just stick to a 30 day challenge or any prescribed specific duration at target at the time. It was actually really simple. The first challenge we did 
was another leader coming to me and saying, you know, we were, we were literally one month, we were about 30 days from our peak season, our retail peak season. And they were really wanting to get uh, much more telemetry and measurement and kind of control over some of the critical business systems. And he had reached out asking me if I could have some of my experts in those practices build this out for him. And my response was, I have a better idea. Why don't you lock all of your SMEs and your people that know these applications and systems into a room with my experts for the next 30 days and let's see what we can do together and let's see what your team can learn because at the end of the day you're going to have to own the outcome anyway I can't own the outcome of what I build for you and we call it a 30 day challenge because it literally was a 30 day challenge and then from there it just kind of stuck and we started growing those out even Target now has pivoted from that format and they you know they've they talk publicly about uh, they're very public about their dojos and uh, you know, they don't stick to that format anymore. There's a lot of different formats that they, they do. And, and I do different formats at Verizon now as well. That's interesting. Uh, so Joel and I have found, I think we would say that that 30 day mark, um, it leaves it leaves the first week for kind of doing product discovery and setting up the challenge, building your backlog and everything. And then just very pragmatically, five weeks seems like a good amount of time for practices to stick. So if teams are mm -hmm. learning new practices for new habits to form, new ways of of working to stick. Where do you think the line is between um, what the dojo offers and kind of moving back towards just what standard traditional training was, which the, the dojo clearly isn't? Uh, mm -hmm. as, as you're looking at these shorter formats, what what do you think about that? Well, I'm going to answer. Uh, I'm going to go back on your question a little bit, and then I'm going to come back and answer it. You introduced uh, another concept that I think is really important in terms of how dojos have evolved from even that very first uh, Target dojo, and and Target has definitely evolved theirs as well as many others in the industry. Uh, product was not a focus when the dojos first started. It was really pretty much all about DevOps and scaling those practices inside the company. And uh, and even the first you know 30-day challenge formats didn't really have much of a product uh, component to them. Um, a lot of companies now, uh, and really where where I've tried to focus on the dojos that I lead as well, have now introduced those practices because it is a great opportunity to kind of bootstrap these teams coming in to learn holistically how they need to change in terms of how they're planning technology, planning, you know, assessing the value and determining the things that they're going to go after delivering and then actually how they optimize how they deliver it. So, you know, fast forward a few years and, and you introduced another concept, the whole kind of one week design sprint. And, and honestly, like, you know, you and Joel have kind of introduced that concept even with with me when when we've been experimenting with with challenges and different dojo engagements we've done um, at Verizon, and I, I think it's a good way to think about it. And I think it's a good way to kind of orient the teams on what their priority is and what the thing is that they're actually going to go after building. Uh, but that's I feel like that's been a relatively new. Uh, focus area with a lot of the folks doing dojos. Now, back to your question on the learning. 
and and the 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 format, the thirty days, the two, you know, the, the the rapid sprints. I've always been a fan. I mean, to me, I think the biggest value proposition a dojo has is it's focused on immersive learning. And so you learn by doing, you learn by building the thing that you have to build for the company anyway, but now you're doing it in, a, in an environment that's optimized for collaboration and learning. You're doing it with people around you that can help you learn new ways to do it. And uh, there's plenty of research that, that shows that people learn generally learn best by doing through experiential learning. And so that's, that's where I think the dojo kind of differentiates itself from traditional training and I also think the short sprint format that a lot of companies are doing and, you know, even the original six-week challenge format uh, generally called for two sprints a week, two, two to two-and-a-half-day sprints. I think that's also a really good practice because, you know, for the limited time that you have teams there with you, the more iteration you can give them and the more practice you can give them on the new ways of working – the more those, the the more they start to build muscle memory, and these things start to start to stick. So I think that that's all really good. Now I think training still has its place. New technologies come about, and you know there's always things to like go through classes and workshops on. I actually think those make sense in a dojo as well. I just don't think it should be the primary services of the dojo and. I've definitely done plenty of formats now where we introduce workshops and we're, you know, introducing a new platform into the company uh, or going through some kind of a technology change inside the company. We can do workshops and pull, you know, in those cases, it's often less about bringing a, you know, a fully integrated team in to be immersed in building something together. It's more about getting a wider array of people in from different parts of the technology organization to learn about whatever that new thing is. So I think those things are complementary. I also think that the workshops can serve as a uh, pipeline builder, I guess, from a marketing perspective to get more teams into dojo experiences because they can come into the dojo for a quick, lightweight workshop or session to learn about something. And then, you know, they, you can have conversations with them about getting into a, a more immersive focused engagement in the dojo as a follow-on thing. So just kind of piggybacking, piggybacking off that a little bit, uh, Ross, you mentioned about using workshops as a, as a means of, uh, you want to call it generating leads, um, mm -hmm. whether it's at Verizon or, or at Target, uh, what would have been some ideas or like, how have you been successful getting teams into these, into these spaces? Um, I, and the reason why I ask that is I've been to a, a couple other places starting up dojos. This one that, that, that is doing really well right now, uh, at first, everybody was interested, but nobody wanted to be the first team. It was really this interesting dynamic. But as soon as the first team then became our biggest evangelist, then everybody wanted to come in. But they had this, it feels like a lot of dojos kind of struggle with this, how do we make the interest? How do we, you know, uh, how do you, if, it can't just be if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Yeah. What have you done that's been successful? <clears throat> well, it's interesting because I, I've experienced doing this at a couple companies and, and I collaborate a lot with other companies building dojos too. So I've heard their stories as well. And I think, uh, first of all, I think every company is different, I think. And even the, the, the two primary companies I've done this at are very different from each other. Their cultures are different. How they make decisions are different. Um, how you 
incent people to do things and get them motivated to go and engage in something are different. So th- there's a little bit of it. It depends, but I what I've seen work well. What I prefer is when you're in an environment where teams want to come in, and I think that does often happen when they see others being really successful, right. and they they get excited about that outcome. And and if you're in a in a company or in an environment where you do a good job of propping up the early successful teams on a pedestal and getting, you know, getting them good recognition that helps kind of drive that. But, um, I've also been in environments where it's been a mandate or it's been, you know, told the management is told, or they tell the teams that they need to go through. And I mean, you guys have seen this, the engagement level of the teams when they come in in that type of environment are generally very different. Uh, half the time they wonder why they're there or questioning whether they should be there um, whereas when a team chooses to come on their own volition, like they're fully engaged, they want to get the most out of the experience, and I think it ends up being a better, better experience for the teams, and it ends up being a better, you know, better investment in dojos as well. Yeah, most definitely agreed. Uh, it's kind of a pick carrying along these lines of, of working with teams and getting teams interested and in getting teams into the dojo. Uh, at either of the places that you've been uh, closely set uh, tied with uh, establishing these dojos, when you started them up, did you have uh, ambitions and goals that you were, you, were you thinking about goals and measures early on? And if you weren't, when did you start thinking of them? And how were, how did you eventually, how did you know that dojos were having an impact? So give me, give us that story. So, yeah, when we when we started, not really a lot of focus on measurement because we knew we knew it was it was working, and we you could see it, you could feel it. Uh, as we scaled and as we continued that investment, we did want to add in measurement approaches. I've subsequently been doing that at uh, more recently and setting up other dojos as well. And I think um, you know, I think the things we tend to focus on are the things I've focused on in measuring. Uh, one, you know, if there's a way to baseline teams on how they're performing, I, the, the value thing's a hard one. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but if you focus on the, just the delivery side and how do they get better at lead time from, you know, a, a user story or a customer idea to that thing actually running in production or getting through a full end-to-end cycle of, you know, planning it, building it, testing it, deploying it. Um, that's a huge thing to measure and to see how much faster teams are able to get quality, you know, defects that are going into production, incidents that are caused by deployments. Those are great things to measure. And uh, I wish I wish it were easy to measure these things individually at a team level. It's been hard. Um, we've been doing a lot with Hygieia. I've, I've really worked with Hygieia, which is an open source project that Capital One leads. Uh, I've worked with them both at Target and at Verizon. And we've at Verizon, we actually contribute a lot of code back into the Hygieia project uh, so that we can uh, further improve that platform to be able to use it as a primary measurement uh, platform or vehicle, I guess, for teams going through the dojos. But when we do that, we're able to assess kind of a before and after state of how teams are performing, and there's value associated with that. We've also gone further to start to build like a cost framework around uh, how do you assign dollars to the improvements that you see teams going through, which is a little bit, 
I don't know if arbitrary is the right word, but it, you know, it's it's assumption based. It's an assumption based model, so teams can always challenge the assumptions that go into that financial assessment. But it does allow us to come back with a kind of a soft cost savings of what do we think teams are you know saving cost wise throughout the course of a year as well because they have less waste right they're they're focused more on on delivering the right things and when they do deliver them they deliver them more efficiently with less blockers that they have to go back and redo their work on that's usually a good thing that we want to see um value is the other interesting thing especially with with product taking a much bigger role in uh kind of the core focus of a lot of dojos i'd love i'm going to pose this question back to you guys because you have more expertise on this I don't yet see a a clear pattern for easily assessing value you know that that you're delivering the most valuable things all the time and you're delivering them most efficiently. I know we've you know we've explored different metrics for that, but what seems to be challenging is values kind of in the eye of the beholder a little bit and it can be a lot it can be really different based on every team that comes through so i'd love to hear if you guys have thought through more on on how to solve that problem uh work in progress we're still working on that i i think the thing that i would say about it is the the question joel and i keep coming back to is a lot of the product work involves deciding what you're not going to spend energy and time on because you've learned that it's the wrong thing. You you mentioned design mm-hmm. sprints earlier. And with some of the design sprints we've done, we've weeded out a lot of ideas that in some cases w- would clearly have gone on to development um, w- without the feedback mm-hmm. that we got in the design sprints. So y- you could start capturing metrics that would be, again, assumption-based because the assumptions would be around what we would have spent on building some kind of capability or feature or service that maybe people don't want. And you could sort of count that as soft savings. But again, it's it's pretty nebulous and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the answer is, is still somewhere along the path of the work that Don Reinertsen's been doing for mm-hmm. years, where he's kind of looking at cost of delay and... Um, the impact of removing cues on your total life cycle profits and, and things of that nature. The the challenge that I think Joel and I face in a lot of organizations is getting to those kind of metrics and measures is uh, it's something that requires a pretty holistic effort uh, across the whole organization. And oftentimes we're coming in uh, through various channels, various partners, and our ability to establish those baselines you were talking about even in the first place, uh, we don't al- always have the ability to, to get in there and Im- affect change in every area that we want to want to change. Um, you mentioned product and, and moving to product models, part of kind of adopting this product mindset, and even getting some organizations to moving away from project funding to funding long-standing teams that own products mm-hmm. can be a real challenge. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's probably a bit of a non-answer answer, but uh, it, it's something that I think Joel and I will be continuing to work on uh, for the foreseeable future. I think if you guys, I mean, if we can nail that, I think it's going to really help um, not only dojos, I think it'll help 
better measure the effectiveness of dojos in the industry, but I think um, it's going to help with this whole product transformation that all these enterprises are starting to try to go down as well. Agreed, agreed. Um, Along these lines, uh, similar lines, talking about kind of costs and measurements and metrics and returns, dojos are a pretty big investment for most organizations. And you talked a bit about doing your one to three day flash builds when you first started at Target, uh, how you had a leader who actually had 30 days in their schedule to, to get something done and you decided to do a 30 day challenge. Was it pretty easy from there to sh- to shift into, okay, now we need to do a lot of these 30-day challenges. Um, uh, how did you convince leadership there? And as you're at Verizon and other organizations you talk to, I think you have conversations at a higher level of leadership more frequently than Joel and I do around that initial investment. Um, what, what would you advise to people who are trying to start a dojo in their company, trying to get leadership to buy into this pretty high level of commitment to start a dojo? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would generally, I would say start small and prove, prove the value without making much investment. Uh, for the first year or so at Target, I was operating on a shoestring budget. I didn't have, you know, the first four or five teams that we did, we were running around between conference rooms and those conference rooms basically served as the dojo. We just co-located people in them. Now it wasn't as, it wasn't as good of an experience as we were ultimately able to create with an actual dojo space. And I think if you invest into making the space, what it needs to be to really foster a highly collaborative environment and, and learning and, and sharing and stuff, I think that, that, that is definitely worthwhile and you want to get to that. But I would start small. I would prove what's possible without really making much of an investment. Even when I first moved into a dojo space, I didn't make much investment initially. It was already an open space. It already had all the tables. I I bought whiteboards and TV monitors, which isn't, in the big scheme of things, that isn't a lot of money um, in an enterprise. a lot of lockers. A lot of what? Lockers. And a lot of lockers. Yeah, well, those are those are already there. That was that was carryover from uh, from the previous space usage. <clears throat> so I just I kept pretty much everything that was there, and I looked at what do we need to add. Uh, and honestly, my engineers even tried to uh, tried to change the space. We tried to change it ourselves. I kind of got my hand slapped by the real estate people, but <laughs> but uh, you know we were of the mindset: let's do it on the cheap and let's prove what we can do. And then as it had more success, we invested more into it. And I had a little bit different scenario coming into Verizon because I had a track record of success on it already, and and so I didn't have to really make a business case for them and i actually had money so i was able to build them from scratch the way i wanted to build them which was kind of cool um so you know i've had personal experience in kind of a couple different scenarios but my general advice would be start small prove the value there are patterns starting to emerge on how to measure the value i would focus on something around time to value or how you're you know drastically improving lead time and if there's a way you could get at how it's improving costs too i think Usually in an enterprise, that's a good secondary thing to show. I wouldn't lead with that because uh, that's really not what dojos are about. But uh, start figuring out ways to, you know, figure out the value at a team level on average, and you can start to scale that out and show what a return on investment would be. The biggest investment in a dojo is going to be in your coaches, and uh, and you do need to pay to get the right coaches because they need to be experts in the thing that they're they're guiding people on. 
So, I mean, that's the biggest thing you got to think about. And you, I'm a big fan of uh, leveraging internal people primarily because they have the context of the company, but you need to bring in experts such, such as yourselves um, to come in and really help, I feel like, bootstrap the dojos and help them understand how to how to scale that out successfully. But that's probably the biggest investment people need to think through how they're going to make. But you can start with one team, one challenge, you know, one short-term engagement with a coach, and you could get going and start to build the case for yourselves. Nice, very nice. So, so here's a, another uh, thought for you, Ross. So, you, so you've been through this this space now for years, uh, looking back on, on all this stuff, at least in the dojo space, and the, maybe the dojos and, and DevOps space. Looking back on all all these years here, uh, anything that's surprised you or if there's anything that you would look back now and say man if i could do it differently i would do it differently um well there's two questions there i'm gonna i'll answer the first one first (laughs) um i'm surprised at how much the dojos have taken off in the industry i i really didn't expect that when we launched this at target you know we being a good kind of devops community citizen i guess we wanted to share what we were doing and and so we were out publicly talking about it we were sharing with other companies but this thing started to take off you know at first there was just a couple other companies that were doing it i think it was primarily capital one and then um, verizon obviously when i moved over started doing it and now it's it's taking off like crazy i was just counting the companies i'm that i'm personally aware of that are actively either running dojos or in the process of building dojos and I was able to count 31 companies that are pretty much all on the Fortune 500 list. Yeah. Uh, 15 of them are Fortune 100 companies. And that's just the ones I know of. I'm sure there's other ones that are doing it that I'm not even aware of because the patterns have kind of taken off. And there's a lot of people starting to consult on it and guide people on it. And um, that's been cool. It's been cool to see this uh, get get legs like that and it's been cool to see it working for other companies and you know i've heard a lot of success stories from companies on how it's helped kind of kickstart their their transformation more at a team level which i think is awesome uh what i would do differently um you know i i like i guess the one thing i would have done differently is I would have tried to think more about what all a dojo can be than just uh, just around DevOps. I think that's a core a core focus for many dojos today. But there's there's so much more value when you can tie in the other aspects of transformation around product and agile and newer technology practices around cloud. And I think even like AI and machine learning are going to be practices that have become more prevalent in dojos. I think that that has taken hold and it didn't take long for the dojos to pivot around that. Um, but it would have been nice to have a little bit more foresight, but honestly it was good to focus on something very specific and see how you could scale it too. Cause it, it got the pattern going. So it, it probably set the stage for these other things to get plugged in. Yeah. I, th- I think actually the focus probably helped you early on. I mean, cause like you said, it was, uh, it was an eager community that wanted mm-hmm. to learn and was aggressively sharing things. It, it had it had natural life to it. Uh, you know, all, all, all 
uh, no, no harm intended here, but the Azure community, you know, it tends to, while they share, they're still very skeptical and jaded at times, <laughs> yeah. people. And I think you, you had the right community at the right time. So, I mean, it's, I get what you're saying. I think a lot of places, they definitely value from going kind of wider uh, mm-hmm. across skills and across the value stream. But I think it was it was the right thing at the right time, man. Yeah, yeah, probably was. I mean, it was definitely very successful. I think, um, the, you know, the one thing that worries me about dojos is, I mean, I think it's good in a sense that they're taking many shapes and forms. I think a lot of companies are, uh, you know, they're they're looking at how to kind of alter the, the format and the purpose to meet the needs of their company. I think that's the right thing to do. I think everyone's got their own challenges and their own constraints. Hopefully there's some common patterns that people can leverage for different scenarios, but that's good. The one thing I do worry about though is, is I do from a, just a, I think the core purpose of a dojo needs to be around learning. And I know that's, you know, that's a belief you guys share as well. And, um, in some companies there's, and I, and I see it, I've seen it in some of the, some of the work I'm directly doing and I see it in some of the companies that I've collaborated with as well. You know, there's such a delivery mindset. It's more about just getting something done and less about how do you improve yourself for the long run that, you know, I worry that the dojos become watered down to be more about just you know, a war room or something that you get everyone together so they can just get something pounded out and get it done. And when you engage with that kind of mentality, the chance of learning new skills that require you to slow down a little bit so you can learn them so that you can speed up over the long run, I think lessens. So that that's a concern that I have, and it's something that, you know, maybe in retrospect we should have been more... the community that's formed around dojo should have taken a stronger stance on uh that kind of brand as a dojo and honestly as we're talking right now maybe it's something uh, you know i know we we collectively have this dojo consortium event in in april in minneapolis where a lot of these companies are getting together maybe this is something that we should try to codify a little bit or something there so that you know that the dojos can take many shapes and forms but there should be maybe a few key principles around what the value of a dojo should be about. So, so you wouldn't say that a dojo should have like a bylaw that says we will sacrifice learning for delivery. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Just, just want to make sure on the same page there. Yeah. In fact, I think, (laughs) I think that should be a sign that teams probably shouldn't go into dojos. Yeah. And I'll tell I've taken teams in under that, that, scenario and and i don't think they learn that much when they when they come in right i agree we we've seen a few of those teams and uh we talk to organizations who definitely view dojos as being some kind of accelerator Um, teams are going to come in and they're going to deliver more than they would of during the time in the dojo had they not gone into the dojo and we've seen that happen in a couple cases so uh Joel and I definitely have a set of stories where teams came in, they were struggling to get something done. Um, In the six weeks that they were in the dojo, they were able to get it done where they had struggled previously, either Mm -hmm. completely failed or were just flailing. But that's more the exception to the rule, I think, than... than Well, another another way to maybe think about that is, because I don't mind... You know, I I think the, the idea of dojos is evolving a lot, and I think... 
you know, when I think of dojos, I think of a dojo as kind of an umbrella product in and of itself. And there's a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. offerings and options and, you know, services and different things that you can get. Uh, I still think the core, the core of a dojo is that immersive learning experience. But um, I'm not opposed to accelerators as long as, as long as there's still a focus on learning and the view of acceleration is more of a long run view and not, not I've got six weeks to get this project done. So I better get it in and get the project done. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, I think a, an accelerator type service can be a good add on service for a dojo. Uh, I do think, you know, in, in my current environment, we're doing a lot with trying to accelerate cloud migrations, uh, and you know, there's some things that we're doing that I think we maybe could be doing differently. But you know, I, the the purpose of it and how how it's starting to help teams, I think, is is good. Uh, the risk is, though, that we, as I said before, you you start to lose that focus on learning. And if that's the core purpose of a dojo, then you know, are you getting the real outcome that you want to get over the long run for the company? So that's that's the thing that I think you got to figure out how to manage that risk is how do you if you're in an environment where accelerating some kind of a technology transformation is critically important you've made commitments that you got to get most of your environment into the cloud by XYZ time frame how do you do so in a way that uh, you don't you don't actually shortcut the learning process that everyone has to go through to actually be able to operate in that new environment as well you talked about uh, learning uh, a bunch, especially uh, in the last few minutes here, Ross, and it's something obviously Dean and I are very much uh, in line with you uh, on for the aspect of the dojo. But everything you've been saying is kind of team learning. Uh, something Dean and I stress, and I know you can relate to this also, is that um, the organization learns <laughs> about themselves kind of organizationally by having teams in the dojo, whether that be unknown constraints that they've applied to teams or kind of, you know, the friction, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything, any observations you've made by having teams in the dojo that you, you realize there is organizational friction or constraints that you want to share? Well, you know, and, and yeah, there, there's a lot of organization. Like you learn... I kind of want to take, I'm going to answer this, another side question that I think is interesting on this, but I'll answer your first question first. I think you learn a ton, like teams come in and you, you see where they have dependencies on other teams. You see where they're being blocked. You see where they make assumptions around who should be doing what and what's on their team versus not on their team. Like you see it all and you're in an interesting environment where you can kind of shine a spotlight on it because they're in a dojo where the where everyone's there to kind of help them, so everything's kind of getting brought to the surface and it's somewhat visible at least while they're in there. And that's that's great learnings to take back to management, to take back to the broader organization, and figure out how to uh, unblock teams. You, you learn where maybe you put a new security policy in place, and you learn how disruptive that can be across all the teams that are dependent on it. And you know, you learn where things didn't get from policy to being operationalized in the environment. Uh, you, you learn all kinds of stuff like that. The, um, the other interesting thing, so I'm actually doing a, a webinar tomorrow. Um, a friend of mine, John, John Esser, who's also uh, someone that's pretty active in the DevOps community, uh, is the CEO of a consulting firm called Veracity. And he asked me to do a webinar on dojos uh, with them. So I'm actually doing one tomorrow. And 
one thing I'm going to talk about, and it, and it actually uh, is kind of how I've evolved my thinking of the fit of dojos in the broader kind of enterprise setting. You know, for a long time, I talked about dojos primarily being focused on scaling your technology practices. Like it was really the whole immersive learning was about teaching practices and getting people comfortable with those quickly. And it it's still a very core aspect of what the dojo is all about. But when I think about um, technology transformation in a broader context, I tend to anchor on kind of four key things. You've got your practices that the organization needs to learn. You've got the culture that needs to change. You've got the operating model and the team structures and how you know how people how work flows to teams that needs to change. And then you've got your like your technology architecture as well and how that needs to evolve. And dojos actually can accelerate on all four of those fronts, which I think is what makes them so powerful for enterprises that are going through these these changes right now. You know, obviously you're scaling the practices by the immersive learning that teams are doing. I think culture, dojos can have a powerful impact on culture because you can actually create a cultural experience that is very different than what uh, people have maybe traditionally felt inside that company. And you have you kind of have control over the cultural experience that teams are going to have while they're in a dojo. And you can give teams a taste for what it could look like if if we start to drive those changes more broadly. And and teams need to learn how to be more empowered. They need to learn how to make more decisions for themselves. I mean, those are all kind of core aspects of how a lot of these technology transformations are happening across the industry. And I think the dojo, between the the processes in the dojo, the the expert coaches who often are very have a deep understanding of like what the cultural barriers are inside the company that they're working in, and they understand how to coach people on cultural aspects. And just the space, the space itself allows you to create a different cultural experience. So I think dojos are a very powerful enabler there. I think on operating model, I mean, I think one of the best things to do with teams, if you want to move from a project orientation to more of a product model, and you're starting to shift teams from that silo orientation to actually being cross-functional, full-stack oriented teams, it's great to put them in a dojo. Like, like you can bootstrap a team right and immediately in what the, what their practices are, how they're going to work, how they're going to perform effectively together. And so it becomes a great enabler for changing your operating model. And then from a technology perspective, when you when you are changing major components of your architecture, let's say you're you're moving, you've got new architecture paradigms you're introducing to the company, like you're going to move to cloud native development, or you're going to move to like an API first design approach, or, you know, you're whatever, you're, you're moving from a waterfall, uh, centralized deployment approach to having teams own their own DevOps pipelines. Like those are kind of technology changes that you want to teach at scale. And I think when you're going through those changes, like a really good example uh, that I've done recently is you're introducing new platforms into the enterprise. You're introducing a Kubernetes platform or a Pivotal Cloud Foundry platform or something like that. That's a great environment to actually incubate teams on the new platform and get people comfortable using it. And so you can actually use dojos to kind of move you towards your directional architecture as well. And so when I think about it and what I believe is like the four pillars that truly make up uh, like an enterprise technology transformation, you know, I can very clearly see now how dojos enable all of those pillars, and that's why I think they're so powerful. 
when I started dojos, I didn't think that way. I just thought about it enabling practices, which I think is a very small portion of what they're all about. That seems like a great point to sort of wrap things up on. Um, uh, Ross, thanks so much for doing this. We felt it was definitely appropriate to have you be the the guest, uh, the first guest on the first episode of the podcast, being as you were the one who started the whole dojo thing. Uh, you've mentioned a couple times that you consult and give advice to companies and, and people looking to start dojos. If people wanted to reach out to you for that or for any other reason, how where would they find you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, I'm definitely happy to collaborate with folks. I'm very passionate about this stuff, and I love to help help folks figure this out. Uh, you know, at this point, I would say the best way to contact me is through Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, I keep things really simple. There's not a lot of Ross Clantons out in the world, so um, you can find me at Ross Clanton on both of them. There's no uh, no tricks to my name. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, look me up there. Okay, and we'll definitely put links to those in the show notes. Again, thanks so much, Ross. DM, Thank you. make sure you tell them what we got for them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I don't know about your drink. <laughs> that was interesting. Joel, what was the highlight for you? I thought the way Ross uh, and his thinking about transformation being organized around those four aspects uh, of practices, architecture, operating model, and culture was really interesting for me. Uh, I'm not sure I've heard him categorize things that way before. Yeah, me either. Um, that's a categorization I might steal going forward. I'll, I'll attribute it to Ross, though. Uh, I also liked hearing the story about how the 30-day challenge length was established. Um, I, I've heard some things about that's based on science, and there's already folklore around that. It was, it was nice to hear the real story of, of how we started those 30-day challenges. If you enjoyed this and would like to join us for the next episode, please head over to our website, dojoandco.com, where you can find information on how to subscribe to the podcast on various platforms. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>